If you want to have Psalm 34 open in front of you so you can uh, follow along with what I'm saying and check with uh, what I'm saying is, is, is true in God's word, then please, please do that. Have you ever watched a, a film or a TV show where uh, the, the action starts with a character in an utterly bizarre situation and then they, they turn and they stare straight at the camera and they say something like, you're probably wondering how I got myself in this situation. Sure, you've, you've seen that happen before. We can well imagine David doing the same thing in this situation that we find him in here. Now, David is in a palace. It's not his own palace. He's in the palace of the enemy king. And he's not here for diplomatic purposes or he's not signing a peace treaty. He doesn't want anyone to know who he is. And if they did find out who he was, they would kill him in an instant. And so what does he do? Well, he's on all fours. He's making strange noises. He's scratching at the wall and he's dribbling everywhere. He's making everyone feel very uncomfortable. He wants them to think that he is out of his mind, that he is insane. And although some of the royal officials think that they've seen this man before, his plan works. They let him go. They want nothing to do with him. The king throws him out. How on earth did it get to this point? Well, that's where the film would, would rewind. And we would see that David was the eighth son of a man called Jesse, living in a, in a little town called Bethlehem. And he'd lived this quiet and humble life until he was probably in his teen years, where this man called Samuel, who was this great prophet, had come and visited his family, looking for the heir to King Saul's throne. And uh, David was, was not seen as one of the choices, so he stayed out there in the field looking after his father's sheep. And what happened was that Samuel called for him, and he was anointed to be the next king. But there's a, a reason why some of the Philistine officials may have recognized him. It wasn't because he was the, uh, the next in line to the throne. It was because David had, of course, uh, with God's help, triumphed over the great Philistine warrior Goliath. He had uh, surprised everyone by, by slaying this, this huge bloodthirsty warrior uh, with a sling and a stone. It hadn't been a surprise to God, but it had been a surprise to everyone else. But because King Saul was, was jealous of David's success and his popularity with his people, David went on the run. He had to escape from Saul, who wanted to kill him. And uh, he starts running, and this is where he ends up. He ends up in Gath, which is where Goliath was from. It's where the Philistines dwelt. And there, his escape plan is to act out of his mind. And I've described to you this, this amazing plan of David's to escape without harm. And rather than the incident being an opportunity for David to talk about his own brilliance and his, his clever nature and, and whatever else that he might use this opportunity for, David uses that as an opportunity to give praise to God. And there's three things that we can learn from this psalm this morning. 
This psalm tells us about the honesty of the Bible. It tells us about how we ought to enjoy God. And thirdly, it tells us about God's amazing care for us. So we'll see all of those things in Psalm 34. And you see uh, what Psalm 34 is about in that, in that heading, don't you? A psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away and he departed. What a, a very honest uh, subtitle to have before a psalm. And the Bible is a, is a very honest book. Not for one second can you uh, forget that this is a book concerning God's goodness towards a sinful people living in a sinful world. There's hope to be found in it, of course, but that's not to say at times that it can be, it can be confusing, it can be dark at times. And the Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible, and there are 150 uh, songs that are written by people in different circumstances and for different purposes. And uh, sometimes you have these headings at the start, so we know what situation they were written in, and other times we don't. And uh, what many of them have in common is that they were written in hard times. And Psalm 34 is one of them. It's written as David has just escaped with his life. But that is not an isolated case. Uh, yes, there are uh, celebratory psalms that, that don't seem to mention uh, the difficulty and the strife that people face. But, but for the most part, the psalms are songs for times of adversity. And if you look through this treasure trove of biblical poetry, you will see songs that were written for times of depression and regret and paranoia and worry and oppression and trouble and injustice and suffering and doubt and confusion and, and, and so much more. And David was someone who wrote nearly half of the Psalms, they, they believe. And, he, and he, he was someone who wore his heart on his sleeve. And he was always honest with God. And he, he never hid his fears or his worries from God when he wrote things down. And that's good news for us today because the Bible is not uh, written in, in blissful ignorance. It's not sugar-coated. It's not for those with, with their heads in the clouds. It's, it's for real people in real situations, in real troubles. And David clearly was going through one of these difficult times, this ordeal, when he wrote this. Have a quick glance with me at some of these verses. Look at verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and he delivered me from all my fears. Look at verse 6. This poor man cried out, so that he's speaking of himself, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. Now look on to, to verse 17. The righteous cry out. You don't cry out if you're doing well in life. You cry out when you're in trouble. The Lord delivers them out of all their troubles. And verse 18, the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. You see, David's life was complex. It was confusing and it was sometimes sad. And yet he's able to say to us in verse 19, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. That's good news for us, is it not? Because we know our fair share of difficulties. 
In fact, I would say with some confidence that there's no one sat here this morning who is not dealing with some sort of difficulty right now. Some of them we know about, some of them we, we, we don't, do we? There's some ongoing issue in all of our hearts which is causing us to worry. And just because we're Christians, just because we're believers, doesn't mean that we are promised a life of ease. We still face sleepless nights and confusion and grief and ill health and heartbreak and doubts and betrayal and boredom and debt. And yet the call of this psalm is not for us to wallow in these things, to say, oh, poor me, poor me, let's, 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 just, let's just enjoy the misery of it all. That's not what the answer is. The answer is for us not to complain, because I want you to look at those first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. The response is to worship. He wants us to, to praise the Lord. You see, he is God in bad times and good. Even in our suffering, even in our difficulties, God is still worthy of our praise. And I love the fact that he's not content to worship alone. He calls on others to do the same. Look at verse three. Let us exalt his name together. He calls others in. He wants to point others to worshiping God. He wants to share this moment. Because when you look at 1 Samuel 21, you've got this, this crazy story about David in the, the palace acting mad. In 1 Samuel 22, we read this. David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. I always got excited when I heard that name as a child, so I thought my name was in the Bible. But it's Adullam with an M, sadly. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented gathered to him, and he became captain over them. And, and there were about 400 men with him. There was a, a group there. wasn't. Uh, it doesn't seem like the most jolly lot, does it? Those that are in debt, those in distress, and those who are discontented. But they've all gathered there because, one, they want to support David, but, but more importantly, they want to live for the Lord together. What attracted this, this crowd of people to the Lord? What brought such a, a, a weird bunch of people together at this time? Which leads us to our, our second point this morning. It's the Lord. The Lord is more enjoyable than any other. So the Psalms are more honest than any other. But secondly, the Lord is more enjoyable than any other. There's a reason why the distressed, the dis discontented, and, and those in debt gather together. There's a reason why David could write these amazing words after his ordeal. It's because the Lord is not just a, a comforting father. He's not just a, a willing protector. He's there to be enjoyed. He's delightful. And maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've never been told that before. But our main purpose in life is to enjoy God. And Christians can be guilty of being miserable and joyless and strict and, and pessimistic 
And therefore, we can often forget that in our Bibles are so many verses telling us that we're supposed to be joyful men and women who enjoy a delightful God. Let me read some of them to you. In Psalm 119, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. In Habakkuk, though the flock may be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, miserable times, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. And here are two more from the Psalms. Uh, Psalm 144. Happy are the people who are in such a state. Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. And one more from Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. You see, in God, we find joy. We find joy. We find true happiness. Blaise Pascal was a a Christian French mathematician in the 1700s. And this is what he had to say. All men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it. The same desire is in both. And yet after such a great number of years, no one without faith has reached uh, reached the point to which all continually look. All complain, princes and poor, noblemen and commoners, old and young, strong and weak, learned and ignorant, healthy and sick, of all countries, all time, all ages and all conditions. The infinite abyss can only be filled by an infinite and immutable object. That is to say, only by God himself. What he's saying, in in fewer words, is that we're all wanting to be happy. We're all after happiness. We're all after joy. Every decision that we make every day is an an attempt to try and get uh, to a point where we're happier than we were the day before. That is the grand goal of our lives. And yet we look in the wrong places. We're looking in the wrong places. The only way, as that quote said there, of finding it is in God himself. If we've got an infinite abyss in our hearts, then we need someone infinite to fill it. So we must be able to say with with David in in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy is the person who takes refuge in him? How do we taste God? That's strange isn't it how do we taste that god is good you can see how you can taste chocolate like we saw in the the kids talk we can see uh we can see that that analogy maybe we can see that you can taste something that you can hold but god how can we taste him well let me let me try and explain it to you when you you tell someone about something amazing you have eaten now uh if i go on holiday it's usually, I tell, if I tell you about the holiday afterwards, it won't be about the, the sights I've seen or the sun I've enjoyed. It'll be about every meal that I've had. Maybe you're a bit like that. But when I, when I mentioned these things, uh, we went to New York a few years ago and we had the most amazing breakfast I've ever had. Um, 
I was telling someone about it yesterday. I was telling Paul about it yesterday. And um, I, I cried, well, I nearly cried twice in that meal. It was, it was this French toast. And it, I, it was so amazing when it, when it reached my mouth, I nearly cried. I was like, wow, food can taste like this. And then I cried again, nearly. They brought out the bill. And, <laughs> and uh, that was my lesson. Don't eat so close to Central Park. And uh, yeah, that was, that was two very, very tearful moments for me. But I can, I can kind of describe all those ingredients to you. I can, I can show you pictures even of what that French toast looked like. But for you to understand what I went through on that day, you'd have to have tasted it yourself. And uh, you, you can try and describe it. You can use a thesaurus to try and use, uh, to try and find the words. You can even uh, smell it, but you have to be able to taste it, to be able to see that it is good. You need to try some yourself. So knowing God is, is a bit like this. It's not something that can only be read about. It's not an intellectual or academic exercise. It's not good for you just to hear someone else talk about it. It has to be experienced yourself. You're to, you're to hunger for him and we're to enjoy God with all of our senses. So let's ask ourselves this morning, does God make us happy? Do we enjoy him? Because if not, then I, I'm wondering if you've ever met him. And God is to be worshipped for many reasons. He's, he's the wonderful creator. He's the sovereign Lord. He is, is powerful in every way. All these things and more, but we cannot and must not lose sight of the fact that he's to be enjoyed. And if we're living our Christian lives out of this, some sort of routine, uh, mechanically and mindlessly coming to church every Sunday, uh, dreading it every moment, we only pick up the Bible because we know we're supposed to, and we don't want to feel bad the next time someone says, when was the last time you picked up your Bible? And if we pray because we feel like we ought to rather than we want to, then we need to once again come to God and taste and see that the Lord is good. We need to delight in him. And there are times where we won't feel like this. Because that's the worry there is that I've made you feel like an inadequate, inadequate Christian because you, you feel maybe I don't feel like this all the time. And, and there are times where we won't feel like this. And what I'm saying is, is not to quit things that you don't enjoy. That would be a terrible way to navigate through life. And that's how the world thinks. If your marriage is hard, quit. If something else is hard, quit. If your job is hard, quit. And all these things, they tell you if you're not enjoying it, then it's not worth doing. But there are things in life that are difficult and worth doing. Marriages and, and family life and, and certain aspects of our job, they're, they're, they don't bring us joy like they used to maybe. But we still, stick with them but uh, my aim this morning is not to say quit if you don't enjoy something that is certainly not what I'm saying but my aim is is to challenge us this morning for us to think have you ever enjoyed God is he someone you enjoy and if you look at scriptures it's, it is clear that he is to be our delight he is there to be enjoyed and what will be the effect on us if we see God in this way well, we become like what we worship. And that is a pattern that we see again and again in the Bible. If we worship idols, then we will become like idols. And this is what Psalm 115 says. But their idols are silver and gold made by human hands. 
They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. And we're happy when we read those words, aren't we? Because we've, we don't bow down to idols. We're like, yes, he's not talking about me. I can think of someone else that he's talking to. But we can still be conformed to the image of the things that we worship. Uh, one preacher puts it this way. If we worship YouTubers and influencers, we'll soon become vain and self-centered. If we worship footballers, we'll become obsessive and aggressive and overly competitive. If we worship actors and singers, we'll become immoral and depressed. If we worship our jobs or money, we'll soon become greedy and oppressive and materialistic. And if we worship academia, the pursuit of degrees and titles, we'll become arrogant and condescending and conceited. Now, these things are not bad things in and of themselves. There are lots of footballers I admire. There's actors I love watching. There's money that I have that I enjoy spending. And I worked very hard for my degree. But they're not worthy of worship. Even our families, the things that we, we think of as sacred sometimes. We, we love our families, but they cannot do what God does. Only God is worthy of our worship. Only God can bring delight at all times. Only God is worth it. And like I said, we become more and more like the things that we worship. And the good news is that it applies the same here. Look at verse four. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. You see, if we love God, then we will begin to look like him. And that is radiant. We will become like Jesus, who is radiant. Uh, the New Testament says in another point that we will be uh, conformed to his image. Our words, our actions, our thoughts, they will be more in line with God than they were. And there are times when, when we don't feel like that, but uh, the Christian life ought to be, uh, there should be a time where, where others spend time with us and they will be refreshed and challenged because they will see something radically different about us. They will see a radiance that comes from us because we have been with God. I'm sure there are people in your life that you can say that of. That they're an encouragement to spend time with. They radiate God's love. So let's look to him and we will be more like him. Thirdly, so let's remember the Psalms are honest. The Psalms are more honest. The Lord is more enjoyable. And finally, the Lord cares more than any other. More honest, more enjoyable and cares more than any other. The psalm opened with these words, didn't it? I will bless the Lord at all times. But imagine you found out that your best friend has been mocking you behind your back for years. They've been lying to your face. Or you're, you're dealing with, with long-term depression. Or you're, you're worried that 
Uh, many of your friends are, are getting married and starting families, and you'll never be able to do that. Or a, a close relative has, has just passed away. Maybe you don't know how you're going to pay the bills with all these increases in price. Or maybe your, your body is not working how it ought to work. And you're saying to me, can I still bless the Lord then? Can I still put my trust in him then? And yet the psalm opens with these words. I will bless the Lord at all times. Not most, not some, but all. How do we do that? Well, because we have a God who truly cares for us. A God who is responsive to our troubles. He cares about our difficulties. And David uh, uses human senses and responses in order to show how greatly God's care is for his children. Look at verse 6. The poor man cried out and the Lord heard him. Verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. Verse 17. The, The righteous cry out and the Lord hears. And not only does he hear our troubles, not only does he see our troubles, but he delivers us out of our troubles. If God were only to show empathy for our difficulties, it would be a a small morale boost maybe. But ultimately it wouldn't matter. He would be distant and helpless. But that's not the case, is it? He delivers. David knew God's care when he was delivered from the Philistines. Verse 4, delivered me from all my fears. Verse 7, he delivers them. Verse 17, he delivers them out of all their troubles. Verse 19, the Lord delivers them out of them all. Again, deliver, 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 deliver. We're able to look here and see that David saw that the Lord delivers. But David was looking forward. David was looking forward. He was looking forward to someone to come. Verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite spirit. Yes, the Lord saved David, but he also saves others too. And we see the deliverance of, of God most clearly in the Lord Jesus Christ, who entered into our world. God himself heard our cries and experienced all that we could experience without sinning in Jesus. That is how we are saved. What does the name Jesus mean? It means the Lord saves. It means the Lord delivers. That is what the name means. His name points out to what he is about to do. My name is Dolan, and it means prince of the sea, king of the waves, and I can't swim. That is what you call irony at its finest. But Jesus' name encapsulates perfectly what he's all about. He is someone who saves, who delivers, who does everything that we cannot do and accomplishes it on our behalf. And sadly, we've lost sight of what it means that Jesus saves us. We think it means Jesus has helped us. We were doing all right, but Jesus helped us over the finish line. And we've all heard preachers, maybe myself included, comparing the saving work of Jesus as us being in the sea, drowning, and uh, 
and a very, very fitting thing for me, uh, drowning and us needing a reality, uh, reality check and someone throwing in a life jacket and saving us. But that's not what it's like. Listen to uh, this man called Dane Ortland. He says this. When Jesus saved us, we were not drowning in need of being thrown a rubber ring. We were stone dead at the bottom of the ocean. And he pulled us up, breathed new life into us, and set us on our feet. And now every breath we draw is owing to his full and utter deliverance of us all in our helplessness and death. That is what we mean by Jesus saves. That's what it means, isn't it? There was no hope outside of him. We are dead in the water without him. And how does he save us? Not by standing on the edge of the shore. But he goes in, <laughs> into the ocean. You can't resuscitate someone without going in yourself. You need someone to jump in after you. The Lord Jesus was not distant, was he? But he stepped into the messiness of our world. There's no other way he could have bore our sin. Uh, as Hebrews puts it, he says, uh, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, to pay for those sins. You see, a representative needs to be like the ones that they represent. For us to cheer on Wales when they qualify for the World Cup next month, it needs to be Welsh players representing us, doesn't it? Otherwise, it will feel a bit odd. And some of them are, are only loosely affiliated with Wales, but they, they still represent Wales and we put our trust in them and we, we support them. And so in the same way, we see that Christ took on human flesh so that he could suffer on behalf of humanity. You see the, the symbolism there. You see how important that is that Jesus had to be human to die for the humans. And we've spoken, of course, about how, how David knew grief and suffering throughout his life, but it's nothing to compare with what Jesus experienced. Jesus is able to understand and feel, and most importantly, save us from our grief because he experienced it himself. Remember those words in Isaiah? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He took our sin so that we might become righteous like he is. The Holy Spirit working within us and transforming us from the inside out so that one day when we see the Lord Jesus with our own eyes, we will be like him. The transformation will be complete where we have worshipped our whole lives and we will finally be like the, the, the person that we have worshipped. And the psalm ends with these amazing words. Look at the last verse. Uh, the Lord redeems the soul of his servants and none of those who trust in him shall be condemned. Many of us are, are living in fear daily. There's some secret or some flaw about us that we're scared of others finding out about. Do you sometimes feel like you're not good enough? I certainly do. 
But there's this wonderful promise here at the end of the psalm that none of those who put their trust in the Lord Jesus will ever be condemned. And we can be at peace in this. Why? Because in a, in a criminal trial, when a judge hands out the punishment and the person serves that sentence, the judge can't take that person back into court and make him serve it again. Because the Lord Jesus Christ was condemned on our behalf, because he died the death that we deserve, we can be confident in that moment that the, the honest and righteous judge of all will not hand out the same sentence again. The punishment was complete. The cup of, of wrath was, was poured out in full. It doesn't have leftovers for those who let him down. Jesus delivers us once and for all. And if you put your trust in him this morning, then you can say along with David, I've tasted, I've seen that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. There is a joy that the world can't offer you. It's only to be found in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray.